I love her story, and I am sure that she could beat me at chess, too. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the only boy she could beat. But I love hearing that story because you hear how what almost seems like a forgotten act of kindness. Because Katende, this chess teacher, was there every day serving kids from the slum, meeting them, bringing them in, helping them out. And it just so happens that Fiona's story becomes famous, but he's been doing this for a long time, virtually thankless. You know, and now... You know, his character is in the movie, too, and he's getting interviewed for things, and he's on TV. But a forgotten act of kindness can have a memorable impact. And as we're walking through the story of Esther, we see that this is true really multiple times over, because that's not that different from Esther's story with Mordecai. You know, both of Esther's parents had died. She was an orphan, essentially living in the streets of, the, of Persia. When Mordecai says, out of his kindness, I will take you in. I will raise you as my own daughter. And he does that. And for years, they lived that way before, as we've seen on this journey, the queen is kicked out. They're looking for a new queen. They go through this bachelorette Persia kind of thing, and Esther is selected as the new queen. Now, if Disney was picking up this story, that would be the end. You would say, and so they lived happily ever in the palace with the king, and everything was good, the end. Except there's this guy, Haman. Haman was the mortal enemy of Esther's people. Haman hated her uncle Mordecai because Mordecai would not bow down to him. But not only did he hate Mordecai, he decided that he hated all of Mordecai's family, all of Mordecai's nation. And so at the point we're in in our story, Haman had set a law for the destruction of all of the Jewish people because Mordecai was Jewish and he hated Mordecai. And what people didn't realize when Haman got the king to sign that decree, Esther's Jewish too. And the king had unwittingly signed his own queen's death certificate. Now at the point in this story, Mordecai had come to Esther and said, you know, it's possible that you are positioned for such a time as this, to go before the king to plead for your people. And Esther, as we saw last week, said, I'll do it. I'll face death for the opportunity to bring hope to those who have no hope. She says, if I perish, I perish. But they still have no idea how this really turns out. And now this week, we're kind of in the middle of that moment. We're in that space where Esther has gone to the king. He showed her favor. He says, what's on your heart? Anything. I'll give you anything up to half my kingdom. And interestingly, she doesn't say anything about the decree. She doesn't say anything about the Jewish people. She just says, well, how about we have dinner together? You and me and Haman. They have one dinner. And the king says, okay, so what is it? What's on your heart? What, what, what would you have me do? Anything up to half my kingdom. And she says, how about, how about, just, how about another dinner? You and me and Haman. As we've walked through this story, we know that Haman is a guy who's all about reputation. He's all about his appearance. And so this is like a golden moment for Haman. And so he's going home from this second meal and just thinking, life is like as good as it gets. I am alone with the king and queen. That's how important I am out of everyone else in the kingdom. They want dinner with me. And so the Bible even describes him as having a song in his heart pretty much as he's walking home until he sees Mordecai. The man who wouldn't bow. The man who would not recognize this reputation that Haman had worked so hard for. 
And so when he gets home, he's upset, he's angry, he's furious. He calls his friends, he calls his wife, he gathers everyone together and says, Mordecai's ruining my life. And because his wife and friends are such good people, they say, why are you letting this bother you so much? Just kill him. Like, it's that easy, right? And so the same night, he builds a gallows for Mordecai, and Haman goes to sleep, thinking tomorrow everything's going to be better, because Mordecai will be dead. I'm having meals with the king, meals with the queen, and Mordecai will be dead. And so Haman goes to sleep. So pause our story right there. Because before we read the next part, we've actually got to jump back a few years. You see, there was a moment years before this, and in fact a few chapters before this, in Esther chapter 2, that tells us about a forgotten act of kindness. You see, there was a time while the king was in Persia, and it tells us that this was several years into his reign. So after Esther had become queen, Mordecai is working at the king's gate, and one day he overhears two of the king's servants. And as Mordecai is sitting at the king's gate, this is what it tells us in chapter 2. It says, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs became furious and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. That's important. And it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. So word to the wise, if you are plotting the king's death, probably don't sit at the king's gate to talk about it, because this is where Mordecai overhears them, and, and this is a moment for Mordecai, right? And I think this is fascinating, because what he does is, as he sits there, there there's sort of a sense of duty, right? If I overhear something like this, I've got to report that. But there's also an act of kindness that's happening because I'll bet you that Mordecai is not so concerned about the king's life as he is about Esther's. Because think about it. If two men murder the king, what happens next? Probably the whole king's family goes with him, right? Very many of these coups are actually bloodless. We want to wipe out anybody who is related to the king, who supports the king because we're trying to take power. And so although it doesn't tell us specifically in our text, I think that probably a lot of that motivation is actually Mordecai's continuing kindness to Esther. Just as he had raised her, as he had watched over her, as they're in the midst of this moment where she's waiting to see when she finally tells the king about this decree to destroy her people, what will he do? And now we have this moment. And so that had actually happened years ago that Esther, I mean that Mordecai, had reported this plot against the king. But look what happens next, because Mordecai's forgotten act of kindness comes back when the king has a sleepless night. And this is probably about five years later. And so in the meantime, this is totally forgotten. But this is now the same night that Haman is resting in his bed, sleeping well, knowing that Mordecai will die tomorrow. It says that night, the king could not sleep. So, one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found that Mordecai had told of the king's two eunuchs who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Now, now picture this moment. 
See, the king can't sleep. Now, is that random? Is that coincidence? Is that circumstance? But when he can't sleep, he's thinking, how am I going to get back to sleep? Well, what could be more boring and sleep-inducing than pulling out a book of the records and just reading through his own life? And then I sat in the court all day, and I made some decisions. And the next day, I sat in the court again, and I waited for anyone to come into me. I killed a couple guys who came in unannounced, and then I sat in the court again. <laughs> but there's an amazing moment here. Right, this is one of those moments that we realize this can't be coincidence. Because for years, this act of kindness that Mordecai had done had been completely forgotten until on this very night, the same night that Haman went home and built a spike to throw Mordecai's body onto, that is the night of all the nights of all the kings in all of Persia, of all the books of the Chronicles, of all the records that he could read. He reads this one. And that same night, he remembers Mordecai's act of kindness. You know, we've commented that the name of God shows up nowhere in the book of Esther, but this is one of those moments that I think we have to step back and say, that sounds like something is working behind the scenes. That sounds like somebody is actually in control here, that this is the night and that was the book and this was the moment that God wakes up the king and says, remember this act of kindness. Well, the king's sleepless night turns into Haman's worst nightmare. Then the king said, what honor and dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servant who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. Now that's a mistake, right? Because in the ancient world, and if we're honest with ourselves, it's not that different today. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. For the king to consolidate power means that if you are my enemy or if you disagree with me, I will make an example of you. I will kill you so that nobody else bothers to disagree with me. But if you are my friend, if you are kind to me, if, say, you saved the king's life, we need to celebrate that so that everyone in my kingdom will think, man, those two guys that went against him are dead, but the, boy, that guy that helped him, he got the good stuff. So when the king hears that nothing, not even that it, we didn't do enough, nothing was done for Mordecai, he starts thinking, well, we've got to do something. So he asks his servant, who, who, who's nearby? Well, by this time, morning has come. And it just so happens that Haman has come too. Excited. Because he's got a spike to throw Mordecai's body on. And he's on his way to the king to ask him for the death of Mordecai. So the king's servant says, oh, well, Morde uh, Haman just came in. Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai. So the king asked Haman, what should be done for the man I wish to honor? Now, Haman is all about reputation. That is the only thing that matters to him. When he hears this question, he knows the king must be talking about me. Well, how would I like to be honored? And he starts describing the most incredible parade with royal robes on the king's horse. Everything that Haman would dream of for his whole life, that the honor would be given to him. And he describes it to the king and he's going through every detail, verse after verse, of what would be done. Because Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? 
But if you look at chapter 6, verse 10, this is where everything flips. And Haman's worst nightmare comes true because then the king said to Haman, hurry and do so for Mordecai, the Jew. Haman was here to have him killed. Now he's going to lead him like on a Super Bowl parade through the streets of Persia. I don't know if you've seen the movie Inside Out. You remember the character Anger? He looks normal a lot of the time, but then every once in a while, I'm like, what? I don't know that Haman said anything out loud, but I think this is how Haman's feeling on the inside right now. This is the worst thing he could possibly imagine. And then he has to go and lead Mordecai through the streets as everyone cheers for his worst enemy. Now step back and think about Mordecai in this moment. Mordecai knows who Haman is. Mordecai knows what Haman is doing. And now Mordecai sitting on this horse, looking at the back of Haman's head, walking through this city, not even knowing yet if Esther's going to be successful in getting this decree revoked, and just probably thinking, like, what is going on here? In fact, throughout the years since Mordecai had saved the king's life, we never see once that Mordecai said, isn't fair. I saved the king's life and he didn't do anything for me. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily need a promotion or anything, but at least like a thank you card, right? Maybe, maybe a small parade. Never once does Mordecai say, where's my due? Where's my honor? And here's why I think that is. And I think this is, this is important for us too. Because Mordecai wants to make kindness impactful for others. That's one of the things I think we want to see in this story today is that an act of kindness that had gone completely forgotten can still have a memorable impact because Mordecai wanted to make kindness impactful for others. He wasn't thinking about himself or what he would get out of it. He was thinking of how he takes care of Esther. And so if there's no thanks from the king, no parade, it doesn't faze him because that's not why he did it anyway. So ask yourself some of these questions. This is kind of a heart check. Because I know there's times where I feel like I'm trying to be kind, but there's still like a little something behind that that I'm hoping is happening after I do this nice thing. Right? You may have heard me share a story a couple weeks ago where it's like I'm, I'm trying to be nice to my wife because I want her to tell me she's, I'm great. <laughs> you know, there's just a little bit of that sneaking behind there. Or, or sometimes, you know, it's, it's in our work life. Well, hey, I can do this to help you out, but what's in it for me? How how do I get paid back for this? How do I make sure that this is worth it, that I get something? So what motivates me to help others? And do I go out of my way to show kindness to others? Right, like if I'm walking down the hallway and I see somebody drop all their papers, I guess I got to help them because everyone's going to know I'm a bad guy. If I don't help them, I was standing. So we help because it just, fell right in front of us. Do I go out of my way to help other people? Am I looking for opportunities? If I help another person, do I feel like they owe me something? And on top of that, here's a tough one. How do I react when I see others receive kindness? When I see other people get credit that maybe I think I was due? Sometimes we have these forgotten acts of kindness. 
And you might be able to think of some of these yourself, specific situations where you tried to help somebody and they never said a word of thanks. You know, maybe it's generosity or patience with your own kids. Like opportunities that you give them because you want to bless them that, that you never had in your life. And, and you're just hoping that you can give them something better maybe than what you knew. And never once do you hear, thanks, Dad. Thanks, Mom. <clears throat> My parents are here today, so, so thanks, Dad. <laughs> thanks, Mom. <laughs> you know, we know that there's those moments that happen, and we're trying so hard to help other people, and we do just feel a bit of that frustration, a bit of that emptiness when, when we don't hear thank you. You know, maybe it's at work when you take one for the team. When a project is suffering and you do the overtime, you do the extra work, you pick up somebody else's slack, and nobody notices. There's no credit where it's due. Or even worse, somebody else gets the credit when you feel like you worked so hard for that. And what does that, what does that do to your heart? What does that do to your head? You know, for Mordecai and Haman, there's a pretty big difference. In fact, you see right after this in, in Esther 6.12, after the parade, Mordecai went back to the king's gate. When this whole big thing is done, Mordecai just goes back to work. But look at Haman. Haman hurried to his house, mourning, and with his head covered. See, that's the difference between a man who is 100% focused in pursuit of reputation in Haman, or a man in Mordecai who had the character to think of the things that he was doing as benefiting other people. You know, my family is new to the Cincinnati area, and so we've just been learning a little bit more about something called the City Gospel Mission. If you've heard of that, they're in the city, and they're really working hard to help feed people who are hungry, educate people who aren't educated, help them find job placement and have greater opportunity in their life. And as I was doing the research for this, I discovered, and, and maybe you already know this because I'm new to the area, but I think this is cool, it was actually the son of the founder of Procter & Gamble, James Gamble II, who founded City Gospel Mission. Because as he was living here in the city, benefiting from the life that he had here, experiencing blessings, seeing their family's wealth grow, he said, not only how do I make my business successful, but how do I make my community successful? How do I elevate the people around me, whether they're in my company or not, whether they work for me or not, but just because I can see the needs of other people around me? And so he founded City Gospel Mission in 1924, and now decades later, they serve over 9,000 adults every year and 12,000 children every year, meeting very real needs right here in our city. That's an act of kindness. You know, and it may be that no one ever remembers who founded it, who started it, where it began, or why, but we know that every single day, people are being Helped. People are being served. Needs are being met. In fact, there's a, a, a group of folks that meet here at Horizon and go down there every month to help serve in that way. That's a forgotten act of kindness that's having a memorable impact. Yet it can be frustrating when people don't notice our kindness, especially if it's someone that we look up to, like a boss, a CEO, a king. Well, the Bible gives us a, a pretty cool opportunity here because it's going to invite us to trust a kinder king. The Bible invites us to trust a kinder king to remember kindness. 
King Hazarus, who, who we know as Xerxes, had forgotten Mordecai's act of kindness for years. For years he had forgotten about this. But when we read in Scripture, we realize God didn't forget. Even though Xerxes had forgotten for all this time, even though Mordecai had let it go and wasn't looking for recognition, God was still planning to use that. And so at just the right time, God wakes up the king, brings him just the right book to make sure that that act of kindness is remembered. Because unlike a Hazarus who's only kind to you if you're kind to me, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. God is a kinder king. God remembers kindness. And God was kind to us first. In fact, Jesus tells a story in the book of Matthew. As he's teaching, he tells a story about a king who represents God. And as he tells this story, he's describing a moment when everyone who was faithful to God is standing before him. And God is looking back over their lives. And he says to them, then the king will say to those on his right hand, you gave me food, you gave me drink, you took me in, you clothed me, you visited me, you came to me. Basically saying, you did all of these kind things to me, your king. A lot of times that's the way we work, right? We see people around us. We see them in need. We say, not my problem. Oh, but there's the king. I want to be nice to the king. He's special. He's important. You know, it's not so much that we're just horrible people, but sometimes we just slip into that mode, right? But look at what this says. The righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we? And so there's this strange reversal to where the people who were kind kind of forget their own kindness and yet god the king remembers because look what he says the king will answer and say to them assuredly i say to you inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren you did it to me see in a hazardous kingdom do you think he cares if mordecai is nice to his neighbor do you think he cares if if mordecai is concerned about the undereducated or underprivileged in the city Xerxes doesn't care. Xerxes cares about Xerxes. That king only cares about himself. Oh, but if Mordecai was kind to me, we ought to do something about it, right? But this is a kinder king. Have you ever heard God described that way? Have you ever thought of God as kind? Because God doesn't forget our acts of kindness. He says, you didn't even realize that you were doing it for me, but whenever you did it for somebody who is in need, even the least of these, even the person that you would pass a million times without ever thinking I should help them, even when you were kind to that guy at work, that lady at work who is always rude, who always has a bad attitude, who never says thanks, and yet you express kindness to them, you use gentle speech with them, God says, you may not even remember that, but I do. I do. God is a kinder king who remembers kindness. That tells us about God's heart. That tells us what matters to him, but it also tells us how we matter to him. Because then instead of feeling angry like Haman does, that nobody recognizes us, we realize we can release that. Because God is a king who always cares, who's always paying attention, who always wants to celebrate that. On top of that, instead of manipulation, right, instead of a king who takes advantage of our kindness, God is a king who multiplies kindness. Mordecai had no idea that this could come back around. 
And we've seen he wasn't looking for anything. And yet God says, I'm going to use this. Sometimes we get to see that. Sometimes we don't. In fact, actually, I'd like to invite Garrick uh, to come up here. Remember to give Garrick a round of applause. (laughs) So, Garrick, you and I were talking a few weeks ago, and and we sort of got onto the topic of coincidence. And and you were telling me a story that, as I listened, I couldn't help but feel like, man, this is like one of those Esther things. (laughs) Like, there's too much stuff coming together for there not to be something bigger going on. But, But not only that, as you kept sharing... I realized that this is this is kind of one of those kindness moments where something that almost feels forgotten comes back around. So I wondered uh, if you'd be so gracious. He already agreed. Would you tell us that story a little bit today? Sure. So uh, the story I'm going to share is sort of in the lines of this forgotten acts of kindness. But then, you know, the coincidence factor comes in many years later, really unexpected to uh, my wife or I or, or any of us in our family. So about 20 years ago. We lived in Cincinnati, and we were part of a small church at the time and one that was growing uh, quite rapidly. And it's a church really where we spent a lot of our time, talents, and treasures, as Chad might say, uh, building into the children's program, helping develop uh, the junior high group there, serving uh, on a weekly basis. And it was a time where our faith really grew from the come to church on Sunday, hey, that was a good sermon, maybe we can pull something from it, to, to what was really a much a deeper walk and really outside of our careers was a really significant part of uh, of our lives at the time uh, when we looked back on it. So after about five years, though, we decided to take our path uh, down a different direction. And we moved out of Cincinnati, moved to Virginia for two years so I could get my MBA. Mm-hmm. After moving from uh, Virginia, we moved to Boston for nearly 10 years. And, you know, between uh, being married, having Four children, no family, no friends, new cities. You know, it's pretty easy to get overwhelmed and and, and frustrated. And sometimes you think back to things you spent a lot of time building on and participating in. And, you know, you you look back at everything you contributed and you're like, man, but I actually didn't, I didn't get anything from that. You know, not that you're always looking to get something from that. But at a time maybe when we felt we needed something at the most because we didn't have a whole lot in the cities and, and with what we had, mm. you know, you kind of look back and you're like, man, it would have been really nice to be somewhere, you know, where we had that support and, yeah. and that, what we had built in before. So you're kind of getting that feeling like, let's call it kindness. You know, we right. poured a lot of that, we poured a lot of that into this place and, and that's, and that's good, but, but you still kind of this sense of like, now, now I'm not getting the payoff almost you know like where's the where's the benefit from that i want to feel that and and not seeing it yeah you know we just have that uh, i think that's a a great way to put it so we're going to take the story from that point and really take it to to march 2nd 2012 my wife and i and our family are still in boston so this is like 10 years later 10 years from when we left cincinnati yes the the first time um i'm on the train riding home from the office um from uh boston and my brother calls me on the phone and, you know, for many of you, I'm sure you've talked to your family or your siblings or your kids or something on your on your way home. Uh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can I can pretty much count on one finger the number of times my brother uh, has actually called me on the phone. And it was it was this time. You know, I love him and he's great, but we just don't talk on the phone. Um, so I answer the phone call and, and we're talking and he proceeds to tell me that a tornado has hit the house where my parents and my sister live. And remarkably, while the house is obviously a total loss, uh, they were unharmed in the situation. Uh, They were actually 
uh, you can see a door right here. They were actually underneath the stairs of the staircase, sort of in this little closet that was underneath those stairs. Um, and they walked out completely unscathed. So, uh, you know, we find out about this the next couple of days, pursue, you know, it's a little chaotic figuring out how we can maybe help them being in Boston. They're not even allowed back in the house because obviously the structural damage and danger sure. regard that. So, you know, they have no cars, no money, very little resources, you know, sort of what you would expect when a natural disaster, you know, hits a place. Right. Um, I think it was probably the next day, maybe the very first day my father calls me and he says, you won't believe what just happened. Somebody showed up, handed us the keys to a car, and said, hey, we know, you know, this is a great time of need. We know you probably don't have much now. You're going to have to go to the grocery. You're going to have to take your kids to school. You're going to have to do these other things. You know, here, here's something to help you along the way, right? No contracts. They had no idea who my parents were. Hmm. Um, they just said, just simply whenever you're done with it, return, uh, you know, return the car to us. Uh, you know, it's your convenience. And it just so happened that this person was a member of the church where we were 20 years prior. Wow. That's a, it just so just happened. So happened. <laughs> you know, so it had, been, it had been 10 years since we'd even been to the church. My parents had never attended the church. It wasn't the church we grew up in. Yeah. Um, you know, really, just somebody from that congregation just happened to show up. They happened to find my family. And, you know, really out of just a spirit of kindness and generosity. Yeah. Um, wow. You know, really provided for them something very specific, you know, in their time of need. And, you know, uh, uh, speaking on coincidence, you know, plenty of people call that moment coincidence. And mm -hmm. I perhaps call it coincidence sometimes as well. But I, I think we also look at it as a time when God provided for my parents mm -hmm. uh, when they really needed something. But then they also looked at what my wife and I had done, you know, sort of helping this church and building this church so long ago. Mm -hmm. And he found a way to do so in a way that sort of built into us and let us know that that generosity and kindness from all those years is still sort of thriving and growing yeah. today. It's such an amazing story because you think about you know, the investment that you make and if you're taking this Mordecai mindset of, you know, it's not about us and it's not about what we get out of, you know, we're, we're trying to bless other people and you could never have planned and we'll do that just in case, you know, my parents ever have a tornado or something, you know, it'd be good if, if we had helped build a church nearby or, you know, you just you can't even do that. But the, the picture that, you know, we see is, and Esther is like, God can, you know, and if we learn how to trust him, we discover that he does that kind of thing all the time. So as you went through that, can you just share with us a little bit of what you feel like he was teaching you sure. that now you're kind of taking forward from that moment? Sure. So, you know, there was a message that they did at Horizon a few months ago called Fine Wine. Hmm. And uh, some people here probably know my background and my family's background, but I, I've definitely been blessed and my family has been blessed through some of the actions my parents provided for me uh, as a kid. We didn't grow up with a lot of means, but my, my parents really uh, took uh, people uh, very seriously. And they helped dozens of people. They changed the trajectory of many families' lives, and we benefited from that, um, you know, greatly in, in the subsequent years. And so, I, you know, I could come here and tell you some things maybe we've done. Uh, you don't want to hear those. I don't want to tell you those. Um, <laughs> You know, but what I'm going to do is tell you sort of the process we go through when we think about kindness for our family and how we go about sort of setting forth acts of kindness or generosity. Um, so there's, there's three quick bullet points that, I, that I'm going to make real quick. The first is have a motto. So in our family, it's be a blessing. And we, it, it simply sounds like this. Uh, how can we be a blessing to your wife, your kids, your church, your community? 
maybe the teachers for your children, you know, make a list on, a, on an index card or a piece of paper of the people you interact with and, and ask yourselves, how can I be a blessing to their life? Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's personal. Sometimes it's a phone call or kind words, you know, but really think through those relationships and ask yourself, how can I contribute and bless those people on a daily basis or a weekly basis or a monthly basis. And, you know, and this is something as well that I think is important that you involve your children in. You know, we try to do it as a family. You know, they have relationships, they have friendships, they have people they interact with. And I think one of the best things you can do is set up that legacy for your children to see you being kind, being generous, so that they grow up with that type of character development. Uh, when they're older so that that really gets passed on uh, both to them and and your future generations. Uh, The second point I'd like to make, and this is really for us the biggest one, which is make it personal. Mm. You know, I'm sure a lot of people here get requests to write checks to large institutions or different places, and, you know, we get those. um, Mm -hmm. We won't name them. But a lot of times that feels just sort of very antiseptic and, and not very personal. Um, I I would encourage you to find a way to make your giving personal because the more that you make that personal, the more you're going to come back and do it again and again and Mm -hmm. again. And, you know, we have a network of people that we have tapped throughout the years, uh, principals at our schools, uh, superintendents, ministers at our churches. You know, there are people who have touch points into the community that can tell you who's in need, whether it's Mm -hmm. people who have lost their jobs, struggling financially, Um, spouses who are sick, you know, just tons of circumstances of people who are really struggling. And and it's a way for you to find out and maybe a a way to bless them, you know, anonymously. A lot of times if you don't want it to be anonymous, that's fine too. Um, But try to find a way to make your giving and your kindness personal, because we just think that you'll come back to that and do that again. Mm -hmm. You know, and last, I'm just going to say, and my, my wife is big on this is respond to your promptings. You know, if you've been prompted, you see the homeless person on the street, uh, you've maybe thought about reaching out to an old friend or somebody in your family or a right. teacher or somebody who's inspired you. You know, write it down on a note card, right? I mean, do it today, right now. If, you, if you're being prompted or you're thinking about that, I would encourage you to just write that down on, on something so you can see it and you turn that prompting, you know, into an action. And the more you do that, the more you become comfortable filling those prompts, yeah. the more likely you are to, to keep doing it, you know. And I think often, you know, those acts are going to go, unnoticed and unthanked and maybe even unknown to a lot of the people with which you bless them with because they might just bypass them because they're so wrapped up maybe with what their need is at the time that they can't even recognize that you've built into them. But as we've mentioned here, we firmly believe that God looks at those moments and he writes them down and he records Mm -hmm. them and and he really does want to generously uh, give you something back in return for that. Well, thanks, Garrick. Sure. Appreciate it, brother. I need to borrow a pen so I can write a couple things down real quick. <laughs> Definitely had those moments, right, where you feel like, hey, this could be my thing. You know, for me, sometimes it's like when I wake up first thing in the morning, and by the time I get up, I forget to write it down. So, so take that word. If you're thinking of it right now, jot it down. See what it might, might take to make that happen. Because you know what? I, I think what you said is right, Garrick, that if we trust a kinder king, then it's not just me doing these things, and I hope something comes from it. Right, so that we're putting it in the hands of a God who can use that, who can multiply that. And whether, whether we ever see anything from that, we ever, whether we ever see how that works out, that we can trust God to work through those things 
to continue his plan, to do the things that he wants to do, that a kinder king is working in our favor and through our kindness to show kindness to others. And, you know, really the, probably the, the third point that I would give you about that is to let the kindness of the king inspire you to do kind things. You know, a lot of times when we start talking about religion, we can get trapped in this idea that God is like Xerxes when he's not. This idea that I've got to show enough kindness, you know, I've got to do enough good to earn God's kindness, to almost make God owe me, right? That I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and so certainly God will be kind to me. But that's not the way God talks about himself when we pick up this book. And so I'd like to give you the opportunity to to trust a kinder king and let his kindness inspire you because he was kind to us first. In fact, Ephesians 2 is one of my favorite places in the Bible. And in verses 7 to 9, it describes how God came not because we were so awesome that he just thought he had to come and spend some time with us, but when we had completely forgotten him. It describes us as when we were his enemies, he came for us. It says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You see, our kindness is not to earn his kindness. When we are kind to others, we are blessed to be a blessing. Because we see kindness from God, then we extend that to other people. That's part of our thanks to him. And that's why it gave us that picture that as we stand before the king and, and he says, you've done all these things for me. And we say, well, well, when? He says, because I remember. Because I remember. He showed kindness to us first that we might respond in kindness to others. Because when Christ Jesus came, he didn't come because we'd earned it. He came because he loved us. Because Jesus is God's ultimate act of kindness. When there was nothing we could do to make up for what had gone wrong, for the mistakes that we made, for the failures that we've had, for the places that we missed the mark we've set for ourselves, let alone the desire that God has for us. If God is Xerxes, then we're put to death. (laughs) But he's not. We have the chance to trust a kinder king who says, I will come. That God came here positioned on purpose as Jesus Christ to put himself to death. To die on our behalf that we might be back in right relationship with him. That we might be back in connection with him. That we might live in the glow of his kindness every day of this life and for all eternity. Because Jesus is God's ultimate act of kindness. And just as Esther was positioned on purpose at a specific time, a specific place to bring hope to her people when they were facing death and had no hope, Jesus was positioned on purpose at a specific point in time, at a specific place, not just to face death, but to conquer death as the ultimate act of kindness for all of us who had forgotten God so that we have hope and can be inspired by a kinder king and hear him say, well done. 
As you're sitting here this morning, inside your head, inside your heart, and you might be nodding up and down, amen, yes, that's exactly where I am, I believe it. But you may not be. And that's okay. It may be that this is the first time that you've heard anybody say that God is kind at all. That may be a new idea. And let me just tell you that, that God wants to show you that it's true. And sometimes we just need to take that little bit of a step of faith. Almost like a, I don't, I don't know if this is true and I don't know if you can really use this, but I heard this thing at Horizon this weekend and Garrick had some good ideas and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it. And God will show you that he is who he says he is. That he is the kinder king and he is trustworthy. And that when we trust him, even what we think are forgotten acts of kindness, that an act of kindness can have a memorable impact. And so as we're concluding this morning, I want you to think about just a, a few more questions, a little bit different than the ones that we looked at before. That we remember the kindness of a higher king, let him inspire us to see how even what we think is forgotten can have a memorable impact by looking around us and saying, who needs kindness? Where are there needs around me? And maybe that's in my local community. But, but maybe I'm zooming out from that and, and looking even at the global community. Are there places that, that I have connections, I have resources, I have an opportunity, that God has put something on my heart to say, how can I impact Cincinnati in a way that nobody has before? Or how can I come alongside people who are, who are doing that, even right here in our Horizon community, to say, we can make a difference, we can meet needs, we can show the kindness of a kinder king to the people around us by meeting the needs that they have right here and right now. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's at work. You know, maybe it's a, something as simple as you drive into work in the morning and on your commute, you say, okay, okay God, if you're, if you're up there, if you're real, if, if you want to do this thing, who is somebody in my office today that needs a kind word, that I could meet a need for, that I could help in a place that maybe you usually wouldn't? And offer that to him and see what he can do. And I'll, I'll reiterate what Garrick said. You know, make it personal. Think of a specific person. Because if you're like me, sometimes it's easier to love the world than it is to love your spouse. Than it is to love your boss. Than it is to love a rebellious child. So make it specific. Make it personal. Pick a person. And then ask yourself this question. How can I stand in the gap for them? You know, the, the story that we started with of Fiona and her teacher, Katende. Katende stood in the gap for Fiona in a way that she never could. He met a need that she could never meet for herself to give her an opportunity she never would have had. Just like Mordecai stood in the gap for Esther. Esther stood in the gap for her people. Jesus Christ stood in the gap for us. And we can look around and say, where can I stand in the gap? And so I want you to see, just in Katende's own words, how he was inspired to do this, to stand in the gap for someone else. Let's watch. You know, the last question on there was to think about who you can thank for kindness. It may be that there is someone or something on your heart right now that you've written down as a place that God might want to use you to meet a need, to show kindness, to reach out to somebody, someone, somewhere. Don't forget it as you leave this morning. Don't get back here next week without taking action on that thing.
But you know, it may also be that as you've been sitting here, you've remembered someone who's been kind to you, who's given you an opportunity, who's met your need that you haven't thanked. You know, it might be a chance to show them that it's not a forgotten act of kindness, but that it had a memorable impact. In fact, it may be the first time that you've stopped and thought about thanking God for his kindness. So to close, I'd just like to pray with you that way. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a kind God. We thank you that you know us that way, and you want us to know you that way. Lord, I pray even this morning as we've given you this time, as we've taken time out of our week just to listen, just to think, just to meditate, to wonder if there's something that you're doing in our lives, God, that, that you would show us, that you would leave us with a thought in our heart, you know, something in our head that we just can't quite shake because you've put it there. And God, that can sound a little mysterious and a little strange. It can sound a little coincidental. But we pray this morning that if it's you, that if it's your kindness, if it's kindness you would have us show, that we might see you at work through it, even this week. And we will ask all of this for your glory in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you all for coming. We'll see you next week.